0: Welcome to another episode of Strictly Business, the podcast in which we talk with some of the brightest minds working in media today. I'm Andrew Wallenstein, president of Variety Intelligence Platform. The pandemic has altered media habits in all kinds of fascinating ways, perhaps none more interesting than what you might call virtual co-viewing. That's when people connect over live stream video, not just with each other, but with a TV show or movie that they watch simultaneously. There's many companies trying to crack that nut, including Siener, whose co-founder and COO Joe Braidwood is with me today to discuss this trend. Hello, Joe.
1: Hi, Andrew. Good to be here.
0: Thanks for coming, uh, virtually speaking. Virtual co-viewing is definitely uh, a trend with some serious heat. You're getting some record traffic. We'll get to that, but I want for you to explain first what exactly Scener is. Really describe the product so people get a sense of it.
1: Exactly. We call ourselves the Virtual Movie Theater, and what we mean by that is we are an extension for uh, Chrome, the web browser, that enables you to synchronize your playback when you're watching a movie or a show with friends um, in other locations. So really, it's sort of zoom meets Netflix kind of concept.
0: Got it. And you and I met back in in 2018 when you had first launched and I, I was excited about the product and I saw a potential in it that I felt was never really realized when what you might call social TV was a bigger trend many years ago. So here you guys come And here the pandemic comes, and it really changed the reception in the marketplace for your product, did it not?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think sort of prior to the pandemic, a lot of people predicted that this behavior would grow over time, but it hadn't really become mainstream. Most people who were doing it would be in long distance relationships or, um, you know, on, on a tour of duty or away from home for a period of time. And obviously the, the social lockdowns and the uh, social distancing that have been very much the, the main thrust of the last few weeks Um, has really changed that behavior set. People are craving social connectivity with people that they love and that they care about. And they're finding new and creative ways to spend time together. And co-viewing is a great way to do that.
0: So, I mean, you had mentioned some sort of extreme instances, but nowadays in the pandemic, give us a sense of like, what kind of co-viewing experience say, you know, a group of teenagers might have, or maybe a different demographic.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. We see uh, a lot of emails come to us from uh, mothers planning birthday parties for their kids, which is a, a, a cute and sort of unanticipated development for us. Um, we see a lot of people who run movie clubs or, or film clubs that uh, are getting together on a Friday night to, to, to watch an old classic. Um, and, you know, people who are usually spending time together on a day to day basis where they're if their coworkers or students are, at a university uh, are doing this to just stay connected to their to their peers. And it's a really, really great way to do it.
0: So what is the upside for something like this? I mean, do you see this as being, you know, a, a very mainstream activity in time? Does the pandemic accelerate perhaps that mainstreaming?
1: Yeah, a great, a great um, sort of example of this is you know delivery services the pandemic has accelerated the adoption of food and uh, grocery and uh, other good delivery services and uh, you know we we see that that acceleration as just changing behavior over time and when the pandemic is no longer so in focus we still think people are going to shop with instacart and get their food from uber eats the same is true of co-viewing you know it's a really fun very convenient way to spend time with people that is engaging and um, you know, sort of takes some of the focus off of trying to constantly entertain people, which you might have on a Zoom happy hour or another video chat. And so that sort of shared experience is something that we're all craving. And we, we think that you know, making it painless and fun is, is going to be something that sort of continues for, for years to come.
0: Now you launched with the ability to uh, create this co-viewing experience around uh, just a few select services like Netflix. Uh, more recently, you guys announced a, a partnership with HBO. So, uh, what is that about?
1: So, as the pandemic was setting uh, setting in over the last sort of couple of months, um, some of the team uh, in Seattle who work on on uh, the HBO Digital Direct-to-Consumer products reached out to us about you know a way to facilitate this for their audience. So we work with them in bringing support for HBO Now and HBO Go to the platform. And, and that's great because it enables people to enjoy some of the best content um, out there through these alternative services. And our users have written to us since and really thanked us for doing that. Um, you know, It really has created a way to sort of explore back catalogs of really great content with your friends uh, in a way that you couldn't before.
0: And have you seen a difference in the marketplace since the hbo deal kicked in is it giving you a new level of visibility
1: yeah i think you know when you have prominent announcements with incredible brands like like theirs it it really sort of raises your profile and we've had an incredible response from users and partners over the last few weeks um our usage has sort of multiplied several factors uh you you know and just the the, the fact that people have been talking about us on social media in ways that they haven't before. We've seen a couple of TikTok videos go viral about us. It's been really an exciting time. Uh, and I think it is, it's really a rising tide for all co-viewing services right now.
0: Well, that's the thing. Let's, let's give a broader sense of what's going on here. I mean, frankly, I think if there's any one service that's kind of broken out from this pack, it would be the Netflix Party, uh, which is also a Chrome edition. Uh, we've seen other services like House Party kind of extend themselves into the space. Frankly, I'm surprised Zoom hasn't already done this. So, uh, you know, how crowded a, a marketplace are you operating in?
1: We like to think that what we're doing is, is, is very distinct because we are, um, you know, we're built from the ground up to be respectful of content rights. And we really want to be a partner for the industry to think about how they merchandise and build engagement around their, their their most exciting pieces of content. And you know, that's quite different to some of the other examples that you cite where it's more just about hanging out or bootstrapping ways to sort of synchronize playback. So, you know, the fact that we're working with the industry and the fact that we enable video chats synchronized with playback, uh, those are two unique traits to what we're doing. And we think that it really, um, you know, it makes for a very interesting conversation about what the future of co-viewing looks like.
0: Well, What's it been like in terms of your relationships with Hollywood to get these copyrights in place? I mean, do content, do IP owners understand the co-viewing trend even a year ago? Do they take it seriously? Do they see the potential?
1: Yeah, I think that things are really quickly sort of evolving um, just in terms of the conversations we've been having since the announcement. Um, you know, A few months ago, a lot of the marketing around a big show or a big, uh, in particular a big movie would be around the theatrical release. And we, know, we've seen some very interesting stuff happen with, um, some of these sort of premiere weekend debuts of big, big, big shows and uh, big movies where, you know, people pay 20, $25 to watch it. Um, you know, as as soon as it comes out rather than waiting for, for the theatrical runs. And, you know, so that is the beginning of what we see as this sort of this, very, very new, very, very exciting trend around creating really, really engaging home entertainment experiences out of theatrical content. Um, and I think, you know, the other thing that is, is is rapidly evolving is the is the subscription video on demand landscape. And, um, you know, anything that can di- differentiate the experience of enjoying shows and movies through these uh, big SVOD services, uh, you know, it can be a very, very powerful tool around sort of engaging and retaining customers. So, Uh, We're very excited about these changes.
0: So, I mean, it's great that you've got good relationships that allow you to get your hands on this content. On the flip side, I have to ask myself, well, why can't Netflix, for instance, just do this themselves? Do you have any concern? I mean, you've got enough competitors as as, as it is, big and small, but couldn't the rights holders themselves start to roll out this technology too? Yeah, it's,
1: it's, it's, it's conceivable that people who are building these platforms could focus on this. Um, we haven't seen that happen yet, and I think that's really for two reasons. The primary reason is just staying competitive in terms of the quality level of an s service with buffering times and with you know recommended content and with all of the other staples that really are required in order to be successful, that's that's a ton of work, that's very hard. And Netflix is really sort of trailblazing on that front. And a lot of the other services have been focused on how to sort of build features that stay competitive with Netflix. The the second thing is around the psychographics of of this behavior set. I think it's, it's a lot easier for us as a brand that's obsessed with this problem to focus on building features for it than it is for, um, you know, a larger organization that has to cater to all of their customers and all of their use cases. Um, So we can build something that just works on Chrome, uh, just on laptops, but build incredible traction behind that. Whereas if you are thinking about the sort of product roadmap at a larger organization, like an Amazon or a Hulu, or, or a Netflix, they have to think about all of the devices, all of the markets. And so it's, it's just, it's, Harder to really get some momentum behind a breakout idea in that context, which is why the startup ecosystem is so great for this.
0: Well, let's get back, though, to uh, Netflix Party, which to me seems to be, well, we should be clear, has no affiliation with Netflix, Um, seems to be the one that's sort of driving this trend. Or or would you even disagree with that?
1: I think... Netflix parties saw an incredible wave of growth uh, at the very beginning of the pandemic um, because people were sort of desperate for new ways to connect. And um, you know, when you punch in, how do I have a party on Netflix into Google, they came up because of their, their name. Um, that I think is a, an important thing to recognize and they've done a great job at sort of capitalizing on, on, on that wave. The, the distinction though, is that it's actually just very, very difficult to make a really great product in this space. There's so much technical um, sort of requirements around sort of building a great synchronization algorithm, integrating great immersive experiences. And we've really been focused on that from a sort of quality level perspective of like you know building a product that that scales really well that enables these rich and engaging experiences. So the thing that we just have started rolling out this week, is a feature set that enables many more people to come into the same co-viewing experience um, in more of a sort of broadcast model. So you can imagine someone who worked on a movie or someone who acted in a show or even someone who's just really funny uh, watching a great piece of content and bringing their audience to that uh, situation. And that's a very different take on co-viewing to you know, pressing a button on the toolbar to, to send a link to your friends to to sort of synchronize the playback, which is what Netflix party does. So I, yeah, I think there's a lot of space in this market for different creative ways to tackle the, the problem of what really the trend that we're seeing here is this idea of hanging out virtually. It's this idea of being together when you're apart. And um, yeah, we're very excited about our particular strategy on this.
0: I also wonder what the advertising play might be in all this. Is that something, I mean, you're, uh, is there something to how advertising might work in a co-viewing experience that might be different than traditional?
1: I think, yeah, The the, the probably the best way to think about that is to sort of consider what an Avod um, platform like a Pluto TV or an IMDb TV, how they have fewer barriers to entry, which is actually a great Factor when you're thinking about inviting friends and bringing them together. You know, at the moment, in order to to enjoy some content on Cena, you need a subscription to uh, Netflix or HBO Now or something like that. And what that means is there's a sort of a natural friction if one of your friends doesn't have a subscription. And so, you know, looking at ad-supported video on demand and thinking about how that reduces the barrier to entry and how the biggest metrics for the teams working on those products is eyeballs and engagement uh, we could be a very natural partner in that context the other thing that we've been discussing with some some folks is this idea of being an influencer and having an audience and all of the sort of classic ways that influencers already monetize their audiences on other social platforms so you know Product endorsements, um, podcast marketing has been a really interesting thing for us to think about. And, and yeah, I think there's a ton of opportunity there, but our primary objective right now is just to deliver a great experience to people viewing and to, to grow. So um, we're sort of not too immediately focused on the monetization piece.
0: I, I want to get back to the different use cases you talked about a few minutes ago. Because uh, as you said, it's not necessarily just about a group of friends coming together. This could be something, and again, this goes with, you know, what is the strategy of a, of a content rights holder to take people that are involved in a production, a star, a director, a writer, or whatnot, and have them have these kind of hosted experiences. Really not unlike uh, the content you might see in a DVD extra, but in an interactive live sense. Um, I mean, do you have as big expectations for what that is as opposed to the generic, you know, friends model of this?
1: Well, one of the most interesting things uh, that we've seen over the last few weeks is people reach out to us to run events, right? So it's not, that you know, the analogy of DVD commentary makes the most sense if you think about the conventional way that you would engage with a director. But there's also, you know, incredible events that Variety is running. There's incredible events like Comic Con that's been cancelled. There's all sorts of opportunities across the industry where you might have an intimate audience with, with with someone that has been involved in a in a piece of content. And people are asking themselves, like, you know, Zoom doesn't really scale that well for that use case, especially if you're screening a premium piece of content. So maybe we could play a role in in that. And yes, I, that is exactly what we are focused on right now. It's It's obviously always in our interest to think about the consumer experience, but there is also a very, very significant opportunity to think about, you know, very, very avid fans or prosumer sort of, uh, you know, takes on what an event or a screening or a premiere may look like in the future.
0: So it doesn't sound like you have concerns that, as you know, some have suggested, not necessarily specific to co-viewing, that there will be a particular set of behaviors that occur in this unique pandemic period. but Once things go back to normal, who knows how much things return to the way they were. Any concerns that co-viewing could be a very temporary uh, trend?
1: No, and I, I think the best example of this is in video games, right? You know, Fortnite and a number of other video games have done a really great job at integrating social features. And those have been sticky because people are inherently social. They want to spend time with others, but we're also inherently constrained by what we can physically accomplish in a day. So if you don't have to move around and if you can still have a great social experience, that's awesome. And and we see this as the same, you know, there is so much convenience and so much social delight that comes from, you know, kicking back with a group of friends or being part of a big fan experience around a piece of content. And uh, we don't think that that's going to change when people can return to going to the mall or to the workplace.
0: How much, you know, we've talked about, you've got a a broad range of competitors out there, big and small. Uh, Twitch has been in this space uh, with some authorized content and they've also been sued from sports leagues that didn't like that their content was being transmitted uh, with copyright infringement. How much illegal activity is going on here? Do you get a sense of, you know, is there a lot of people who are just using Skype and, and FaceTime to do this kind of group activity? Yeah,
1: it's it's difficult to know because the majority of that stuff is peer-to-peer. And, you know, I think if you think about um, what happened in the music industry, this is a great example of what we are really focused on. We are enabling fully compliant copyright Friendly co-viewing experiences in the same way that Spotify would enable you to listen to your favorite bands and, and, and music without infringing copyright, and that over time that that charts to what people actually want. Because if people are passionate about content and they're passionate about movies, they want to they want to put their dollars there. They want to be fans. They want to embrace that content. And so, um, you know, it, it, of course, every day we get emails from some some kids who used to use. Rabbit, which closed down because it was struggling to scale because it was so so focused on the piracy use case, and you know they say, "Well, this is this is weird. It didn't share my screen." Yeah, we're not we're not in the industry of screen sharing. We're in the industry of delivering premium entertainment and bringing your friends along for the ride. And I think that that's very exciting, and and, and you know we're focused on the right long term strategy there.
0: But is your product? a superior user experience from the illegal stuff? Because as we've seen in an earlier age of Hollywood where streaming, you know, copyright protected content wasn't really that much different in user experience than the illegal, piracy, which has certainly not gone away, I think was an even bigger headache.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, you only have to be on a Zoom with 20 people to realize that the quality level of all of the video calls goes down significantly. And then if someone shares some content on one of those feeds, it, it's just not a good experience. And so we have worked tirelessly to make sure that the way that Cena works when you fire up the Chrome extension is it is writing on top of the content delivery networks of the services that you're watching that have been built from the ground up to deliver premium viewing experiences. So You still get that same high resolution, beautiful content um, you know, direct from the source and then you augment it with, with, with the social layer. And so it, it works incredibly well, and, and the experience is superior. Um, the same is true for the audio. You know, you can manage and have full control over the audio experience, so you can mute everyone that's in the room and just focus on the movie or show, or you can turn the movie or show down and talk about it if it's a rerun, and, and you know, giving people the freedom to really create their own experience here.
0: From a device perspective. You guys strictly work on a, a browser in a desktop scenario, not mobile, not on the TV screen itself, correct?
1: Yeah. I mean, there are ways to leverage your laptop and plug it into your TV. And you can even use sort of Chromecast. Uh, and we've had people write to us sort of being evangelical about the fact that they figured that out. Um, th- we're at the beginning here. We've got a ton of work to do, and we're re- very hungry to get it done around Deeper integrations, and those could take one of two forms. They could either be permissioned at the platform level, so a Roku or Apple TV or you know a Vizio or someone like that could could provide an API to allow us to know what content is being viewed and to change the shuttle controls so that it's synchronized. Or we could partner directly with the content owners to to sort of bake this into their proprietary apps. And and both of those are on the table. The beauty of Chrome as a platform is it is such a, a, a an amazing way to sort of integrate deeply into these content experiences in a way that doesn't require bespoke permissions. And so that has allowed us to prove that this is something that people want without needing to persuade sort of very, very senior boardroom folks that they need to change their strategy.
0: Yeah. I would imagine, particularly on the mobile front, when you crack that nut, that really is going to have a huge effect for you.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, mobile is is a really interesting platform it it just so happens that the pandemic has made it slightly less relevant and so uh we've been able to really sort of take that and and run with the fact that many people have access to a laptop conveniently right now um but as people start to move around again and start to want to be in these social environments we've got a ton of ideas about how to extend that to mobile and that may just be the the you know one example of that may just be that. If you're on mobile, you have to manually synchronize your TV, but if you're on laptop, it it just magically happens for you, and you're okay with that because you know that that's an alternative use case. Um, Obviously, we want to provide experiences that are really buttoned up and that work very well for users, so we're also exploring deeper integrations.
0: Who is your audience there at Senior Joe? Uh, I'm curious just, I keep sort of referencing in this conversation this hypothetical set of teenagers for all I know, your average age is 70 years old. I, I have, who, who out there is using this kind of technology?
1: So, because we worked so fast to, to reboot the product at the beginning of this this chapter of history, um, we actually have not yet done very much by way of sort of user research, and we make it very lightweight to join these sessions so we don't ask people how old they are and where they're from. Um, so, I have an empirical sense of how this has shifted. We had a very, very dialed in understanding of the, the users prior to this surge, um, but it's definitely broader. You know, you, The support emails and the, the, the praise that we get on social comes from people who, um, some people who are sort of clearly in their middle ages, you know, and they're just sort of thinking about this as a great way to connect with their friends that they miss. There's a lot of young folks because they tend to not be um, worried. We call them screen ages. You know, they, they, they don't hold back in terms of what it takes to, to get to their friends and to create experiences on devices. Um, but yeah, it's it's very early. And it, the, the sense we're getting is it's much broader than it was before.
0: Tell us a little bit about CeNA as a company. How did you guys come together? How big are you? I, I, you mentioned you're in Seattle. I assume that's where your whole team is.
1: Yeah, we, we, we have um, five full-timers in Seattle and uh, a number of uh, incredibly talented freelancers that work uh, in other locations for us. Um, we were born inside of Real Networks, so you know those like you with a deep knowledge of the industry will know that Real sort of invented streaming audio and video back in the 90s and um, is still based in Seattle, and uh, Rob Glazer, the, the, the CEO of Real, is our chairman and has personally uh, you know, been very bullish on, on, on the company. So yeah, we're, we're based up in Seattle. We're a small team. Um, and we're very passionate about the space, but we have great support from, from Rob and the folks at real to to get things done and to, to navigate this space.
0: And I, I'm curious, are, are there investors that uh, have joined real uh, Rob in, in investing in your company?
1: Yeah. So we, we, we went through the launch accelerator program run by Jason Calacanis last year and, um, Rob and Jason are the sort of two primary investors other than Real Networks uh, when we were being incubated. And, uh, you know, so far it's, it's, it's been a, a really great team to have on board. Um, we're thinking about, you know, potentially raising another round in the next couple of months and, and sort of really just trying to understand what the best timing would look like because we're trying to stay heads down on building product right now. Because um, as you can imagine, people are you know, that feeling you get when you have a product that, that, that people actually want, you get inundated with requests constantly. So we're trying to really stay heads down on that stuff. Um, but yeah.
0: And finally, I wonder how Rob or Jason look at your company's long-term ability to monetize. You mentioned it's all about scaling up now. I get that. But have you given much thought to a time, who knows how long it'll be from now, where, how do you make money?
1: Yeah, we, we we think Twitch is probably the best example of a, um, you know, a social video platform that has monetized with an industry working with it. And that's the gaming industry and the esports industry. And we, we like to think of that as a similar sort of analogy. So, um, you know, proving that we build this incredible flywheel where people come into the product, they engage with content, and then they stick around to, to hang out with their friends once we've done that, it, it, it sort of writes itself in terms of working with the industry to promote their, their content and thinking about you know, where you direct consumers to tune in to the hottest new content. Um, beyond that as well, there are other models around sort of uh, tipping and the sort of social um, live chat experiences that exist. And we're just at the beginning of trying to understand those. But we think that if you look at the amount of money being invested in great content right now, um, it's, you know, it's billions and billions and billions of dollars. And so having the ability to create new experiences and engagement around that content and to sort of reinvent some of the long tail content, given that maybe some productions have slowed down during the pandemic, we're very bullish on our ability to facilitate that.
0: Well, you made the Twitch comparison, so I'll bite. I mean, do you have Twitch-sized ambitions? Because I guess I'm not sure. Is Cena something that is going to be remembered as a brand synonymous with a behavior, or is it just sort of a, a, an infrastructure technology that maybe consumers don't even eventually need to know about by brand?
1: If, if I didn't gravitate towards the former, I'd be a bad entrepreneur. You know, I think we would love to be synonymous with enjoying content together, and. If we can do that, and if, you know, our mission here is to bring people together around shows and movies that they love, it's that simple. And um, the sky's the limit in that respect. That being said, you know, we'd be very happy if we could facilitate that at scale for a, a bunch of other uh, organizations. But our primary focus is on the consumer.
0: Well, uh, looking forward to seeing how 2020 continues to unfold for you. You're off to a great start. Thanks for talking with me, Joe.
1: Really appreciate it, Andrew. Thanks a lot.
0: This has been another episode of Strictly Business. Tune in next week for another helping of scintillating conversation with media movers and shakers. And please make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes. Also, leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing.